0: you need indeed
1: for 18 years i've truly been blessed to be a pacer and a hoosier
0: you're listening to setting the pace your go-to pacers podcast with Alex
2: Golden and Michael Fachi. McConnell pushing again, gets underneath, finds Sabonis for the dunk and the ball!
0: Karis LeVert, people don't realize how good he really is. LeVert, nice. skies high for the jam.
1: Go. Brogdon for three.
0: Boom, baby! Yeah. Duarte for three. Big time shot! Warren lets it fly, yes!
1: Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and I'm joined today by the one and only Michael J. Focci. Focci, how's it going today, brother?
3: Hey, Alex. I am hyped right now because we have Kiefer Sykes on today, and I feel like this is going to be a great, you know, getting to know Kiefer episode because, hey, we we saw the TBT shot. We saw him in summer league, but I want to learn more about who could be joining the Pacers this year.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to talk with Kiefer. And I'm also looking forward to our interview with Sam Cooper from the Timeline Pod covering the Phoenix Suns. He's going to join us to talk about the Pacers' rotation now that Tory Craig is officially a member of the Indiana Pacers. So we're excited to talk with him and get his thoughts. We recorded that last week. So if anything is a little bit, you know, post dated, I apologize for that in our conversation. But we did talk with him last week. And then we're going to air that episode with uh, that segment with this episode today. But Fachi, We've had a slew of birthdays here in a row for the Pacers. I did not realize that Rick Smith, Reggie Miller, and Karis Alert had back-to-back-to-back birthdays. It's pretty awesome.
3: I am a big birthday guy, but when (laughs) I saw that today, I was like, what is going on? This has been the week of Pacer birthdays that, at this point, I'm going to have to find out whose birthday it is tomorrow because I don't see this chain ending.
1: (laughs) Oh, man, that'd be interesting. I don't know if there's any Pacers that were born on August 26th. Do you have
3: any idea there there was? Not off the top of my head, but I wouldn't be surprised if I woke up t- uh, tomorrow to see a tweet saying, happy birthday to so-and-so, you know. So it very well yeah.
1: could happen. I I did pull it up here on, on the basketball reference. It does not look like there is a Pacer that has a birthday tomorrow. But with that being said, Karis LeVert celebrating his birthday today. Fachi. how old is Karis LeVert? But did he turn 27? Was that, was that what
3: it was?
1: I am not sure. So let's look it up real quick. This (laughs) is terrible for the podcast. We didn't have this ready, but that's all right. He is 27 today. You were right on the money. 27. 94.
3: All right. Right on the money. I thought he was 26 years old before, so that would make sense. But you know what? Hey, happy to spend a year 27 of his life in an Indiana Pacer jersey from day one, because I think it could be his biggest and best year yet.
1: Absolutely. So a couple of fun facts about Karis LeVert via basketball reference. His nickname is Baby Durant and his middle name is Coleman. I had no idea.
3: Oh, I mean, I heard Baby Durant before, but I also remember when, um, oh man, what's his name? Who was nicknamed um, Baby Westbrook that we caught last year <laughs> from the Suns, oh, TJ yeah. Leaf Trade. Uh, Jalen McHugh. Jalen McHugh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he was, he was Baby Westbrook. So, you know, we, we got to pump the brakes on some of these nicknames. They're getting crazy. I'm waiting to see like Baby MJ or something like that, where it's like, whoa, 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 whoa.
1: I don't know. I, I think Baby Durant is a little bit justified for LaVert because he's at least a starter in the NBA. Like Baby Westbrook for Jalen McHugh, like that was a far stretch. Like fall. Yeah. It might have a couple been, of like, miles. Yeah, it could have been somebody else's Westbrook, not Russell Westbrook. But yes. Um, anyway, so Coleman, though, I think that's an interesting middle name. I've actually never really heard that as like a first name. So um, I wonder if he's got relatives with that name or something. But who knows? But Karis Coleman Levert's birthday is today. So happy birthday, Karis. And happy belated birthday to the Duck and Dutchman, Rick Smiths. And maybe the goat of the Indiana basketball, Reggie Miller. I know that I said maybe. Only thing, only reason I say that is because I know There are a lot of ABA fans that like some of those guys back then. So trying to be respectful to those, but definitely the greatest NBA Pacer of all time, Reggie Miller.
3: No doubt. You know, look, no disrespect to my guy, Jermaine, but it is a clear cut Reggie Miller is the GOAT for the Pacers, at least in the NBA, by far undisputed. 18 years with the franchise, you don't see it anymore unless you're truly a great Yeah, I
1: think that the Pacers have done him wrong by not giving him a statue outside of Banker's Life Fieldhouse. And with Banker's Life eventually going away because they did not renew their contract to be the name of the Fieldhouse, I don't know what they're going to do, but if they don't have a name, I think we should call it the Slick Leonard Fieldhouse, Fauci.
3: Not a bad idea at all. I mean, Slick, just a true legend. I just feel like you got to find some way to honor him. Yeah. It means something, you know, not just like, a, hey, we're going to give him, the, give his family this plaque. That's not going to do it.
1: No, it's, it's not going to do it. But anyway, we've
3: got a lot to cover today.
1: we got some good guests on. So let's take a break. We'll be right back after this.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right, everybody. So joining us now on Setting the Pace, he is the co host of the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast, a great podcast on Blue Wire Pods. It's Sam Cooper. Sam, thanks for joining us.
4: What's up, guys? Happy to
1: be
3: here. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I don't know if I want to say I'm overly excited about the Tori Craig signing, <laughs> but I'm too excited to not kick this first question off. So, all right, so Sam, Toy Craig, he signs a two-year, $10 million deal at the start of free agency. I'm talking like 10 minutes into free agency. Um, what do you think made the Pacers think, hey, this is a guy that we got to sign right away?
4: Well, I, I, look, you guys know the Pacers better than I do. So in a way, I'm almost going to flip it back on you and and to talk like specifically about the fit on your roster. But just to talk about Tori as a player. I I think you're talking about a guy who solidified a spot in the top nine uh, guys in a rotation on a roster that went to the NBA Finals. As you know, as a guy who he got scooped up for what was it, five million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. Like I I think you guys will see in time that we're we're not talking about a marquee, massive signing, a guy who's going to be in the you know at the front ends of the rotation, but for what he is. Um, I think he plays a, a super valuable role. Obviously, the NBA every year keeps going towards having these versatile forwards, these tweener types who can switch out, defend multiple positions, are big enough to guard the, the, the biggest guys and small enough to take some possessions on the guards. Torrey's one of those guys. Uh, and in addition, you know, I think his work ethic is fantastic. He hustles his butt off. Great rebounder. Uh, improving as a shooter. Wouldn't say he's exactly where you want him to be. But yeah, I mean, you know, if you treat this as kind of the role player back end of the the bench unit signing that it is, uh, I think uh I think the Pacers got a good player.
1: Yeah, so I, I kind of want to go here a little bit because obviously he's been with Denver for the majority of his career before he was let go. He was thirty years old, joined the the Bucks, and then halfway through the season, I don't know, was he traded to Phoenix or did they did you guys sign him?
4: We got him for cash considerations. So okay. it was a trade, but it was a. They wanted PJ Tucker. That was like their big midseason acquisition as they were kind of gearing up. You know, it's always an arms race with the contenders, and they didn't have an extra roster spot. So they got rid of Tory Craig for cash. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So really, I mean, I'm looking at his numbers
1: from last year, and in terms of three point percentage, right around 36, 37%. Which is pretty good. I mean, it's not like forty percent, which is what a lot of people are like. That's great, but you know, really shined. I thought in Phoenix was part of the playoff, you know, run on that bench was uh, was a contributor there. Can you kind of talk about how he impacted the Suns once he came over in that trade?
4: Yeah, I mean, all credit to him in the sense that when the Suns initially, I mean, there's a reason he went for cash, right? When the Suns initially acquired him, I don't think Suns fans had really any expectations for Torrey Craig, other than knowing he was a little bit of a bigger body. The Suns uh, have a plethora of wings. They've they've got these guys like Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, uh, Abdul Nader, tend to be the smaller type of wings, the 190, 200-pound type guys. So other than getting a guy who physically we knew was a little bit more imposing, we didn't really have any concrete expectations for Torrey, but then pretty much immediately he earned a a consistent 10 to 15-minute-per-game spot in the Suns rotation. Um, And I think that the... initial main reason for that was his hustle. Uh, This was a guy, I mean, if you look at his um, playoff stats, let me pull them up real quick. If you look at his playoff stats, gave us nine rebounds per 36 minutes with his consistent spot uh, in the playoffs. Really a guy who just hustled after boards, embraced the role of being a bit of a junkyard dog type. um, And that combined with the defense. And, And really, it's not so much about him being like an elite lock you down one-on-one ISO defender, as much as it's that Torrey is so versatile and that was so instantly apparent that he could play a little bit of small ball five. He could guard out on twos and threes. Um, It it became very quickly clear that this was a guy who could earn a spot playing playoff basketball. Um, And, and, you know, for that reason, in hindsight, it looked like a very smart move, uh, a smart acquisition on the part of James Jones.
3: So the term three and D, it gets tossed around a lot when you're talking basketball these days, but you know, that is a pretty, feels like a pretty decent description of Torrey Craig's game from, you know, just a high level overview. However, this is a guy that aside from last year where he shot, you know, basically 37% from three, his previous years in Denver was not great from three. Do you feel that he's taking a step forward as a three point shooter or was perhaps last year, maybe the outlying year for him? From three
4: yes yeah, so <laughs> I, I will say I'm not a shot doctor uh, I I wouldn't say I necessarily look at his form and see anything that's telling me that oh it looks good every time he's uh you know making this progress from year to year um I'll be honest in that despite the fact that Tori shot 37% from deep with the suns uh you could tell especially as the season went on and into the playoffs defenses did not respect his shot mm-hmm. uh in in playoff settings, There were times when it felt like maybe you wanted to play Torrey more, you wanted to play him 20-25 minutes per game because of the defense, but you had to substitute him out for a Cam Johnson or a Jay Crowder instead because it felt like the Suns were playing four on five on offense. Now, to his credit, I think if you're getting left wide open and you can still hit 37% of your threes, you're doing enough. Most of the time, you know, maybe not in the NBA finals, but most of the time, in most games, most situations, to justify your place on offense, you're not damaging the spacing all that much. It's not like a, like a Andre Roberson, uh, you know, shoots 25-30% from deep situation. I don't think Tori is that bad. But I will say, um his raw percentage has improved. We're going to see, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see this year if the respect factor has kind of caught up. And if defenses have caught up to that fact, and they're going to say now, okay, now we got to close out a little bit harder on him, we actually got to get a hand up, because we know he can get into that 35 to 40% range. That's going to be the the most interesting thing to see with Tori, because so far, at least from what I've seen with Phoenix, that respect factor wasn't there.
1: One of the things Kevin Pritchard brought up in his end of season press conference was looking for a leader for this locker room. And TJ McConnell has kind of been that guy, and Brogdon has kind of been labeled that guy over the last couple of years, but I know there's been some questions on whether Brogdon is the right guy for that, for that position of leadership because of some of the things that have happened here in Indiana. I'm curious, is Tory Craig, I don't know if you know much about this or not, but it, does he have a locker room presence? Is he that kind of locker room leader that could be infectious in a good way for this Pacers team?
4: I will say I'm I'm not a reporter, so I'm I haven't had you know the locker room interactions with Tory, but he he fit in perfectly into the Suns culture. You know the Suns came from this situation of being a 19 win team just a couple of years ago, and in order to reboot the culture, I think for the past couple of years for James Jones, their GM, it was critical to not get any guys uh, for whom the outside stuff could be a distraction. And I thought Tory played perfectly into that. I wouldn't say he was the, the most vocal leader. I think he was in a bit of a strange situation. You know, he was kind of the last guy of the court to join coming in halfway through the season. And of course, when you have Chris Paul there and you have Jay Crowder there, those are already kind of like you understand. Like those were the voices, uh, the primary voices of Chris Paul is going to command the most respect in the locker room. But I do think the guys got along great with Tory. I think they formed a real camaraderie um, you know, they were posting Instagram videos after the after the or on their stories after uh, you know, some playoff series wins of like Tory dancing with guys at campaign in the locker room. I mean, these guys were just having a ton of fun on this run. Um, and I think he he was a well-respected guy, understood his role, did exactly what was asked of him and exactly what he had to do.
3: Yeah, you know, understanding his role is something that's very important when you are gonna go on a run to the NBA finals. Now, Tory Craig for his career averages about 18 minutes per game. Uh, When you're signed that quickly in free agency, you got to imagine the team that signed you has a plan for you. However, Mm. would it surprise you if there's many nights where Torrey Craig doesn't even log a minute for the Pacers?
4: Well, this is, this is kind of where I want to turn it back on you guys. So, I mean, because I'm not plugged into the Pacers community like you are, presumably you guys have your fans, your audience talking to you about their thoughts. Um, Maybe talk to me a little bit about what was the initial reaction from your end. Is this a puzzling signing to you? Because I think from a vacuum perspective, like the value is obviously there. I think Tory Craig's a player who's worth $5 million. But the fit specifically with the Pacers, how do you guys envision that?
1: I think Torrey Craig proved in the playoffs that he can play in the playoffs. And I think the Pacers need guys that can do that. And they have to get better defensively. I think if you noticed last year, one of the worst defensive teams, especially on the perimeter, They want to become more switchable with Rick Carlisle here. We know things are about to change. We're not sure exactly how they're going to change, but it can't be any worse than what Nate Bjorkman tried to implement last year in his one season as a Pacers head coach. So I I think when Tory Craig was signed, everyone was like, really? Okay. Like I think everyone saw his name flash up as a, as a, like a Woj tweet or whatever that Tory Craig was signing and just kind of like skipped it and then went back and said, Indiana Pacers, like what in the world? Um, I think it came as a bit of a surprise only because I think a lot of you, a lot of people view him as a two or a three, and that's a that's where the paces are kind of loaded at right now in terms of roster depth. But if they view him as a four, oh, I yeah. could see where it makes more sense because right now the only small ball four they really have on the roster is TJ Warren, another former Phoenix son. And beside <laughs> that, they have O'Shea Berset who they really liked last year from the G League, but he's still young, is on a non guaranteed contract. And if Warren does get hurt, which we know he has an injury history, you want to have depth at that position. They drafted Isaiah Jackson as well. He's a guy they think can play the four, but I don't think they saw him as someone who'd be ready right now. So I could see him playing some of that that four, some of that three, but it's just going to be difficult to see how Carlisle uses all these guys because if you look at the Pacers roster overall, it's probably about 12, 13 deep on guys you could actually make a case for getting rotational minutes and, I just think Craig's going to come in there and, and make this a more competitive camp.
4: And, you know, sometimes if you're trying to take the next step into really becoming a, a truly competitive playoff team, I think, you know, that's that's a good thing to have. That's a good problem to have. But it does beg the question, uh, what exactly was Tory told? What was his agent told going into that negotiating process? Um, what What is the role going to be there for him? I will say he is absolutely a four. He's not a shooting guard. Um, at okay. all. So he he's he's a three-four tweener, kind of the classic type. You mentioned TJ Warren. I'd say he's he's like a TJ Warren. I will say also, the Suns did play him a little bit at small ball five. Given your guys' specific depth chart, I don't really see why that would ever be um, necessary. It was more sort of necessary for us because the Suns, you know, fumbled their roster construction a little bit. They didn't really have a true center behind DeAndre Ayton for the Pacers. Um, maybe it's useful one day, you know, that the fact that you know he can do it but it's not something he did a ton. He played primarily at power forward. And I think if you're talking about, um, you know, I know you guys lost Doug McDermott, if you're kind of talking about just losing offense and gaining defense, you start to plug in the pieces there. And, you know, you've got a guy you can go to, um, you, you re-sign TJ at point guard, you re-sign Justin Holiday. I He's a player I love um, kind of at that two, three spot. And then Tori's a guy who you can really slide in at the four. Uh, And and just give you a little bit, just a little bit of a bigger, beefier presence who can match up on the bigger wings um, and also sometimes switch out onto those guard assignments. So I see good defensive lineups that don't totally sacrifice spacing starting to take shape as I look at your depth chart. I think that's a good thing.
3: No, it definitely is. I like the idea of him as a backup four rather than a three because it's it's such a log jam at the two and three right now. And the Pacers made it known that they wanted to get better defensively, and I think that served um, you know its purpose when they drafted Chris Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, guys that were all defensive players, and then you bring in Torrey Craig. And I was just curious, do you think the fact that maybe he had You know, went undrafted, had to go to Australia, produced over there. He was Defensive Player of the Year in the NBL. Do you think maybe all of that kind of um, helped him carve out his role and his kind of the chip on the shoulder when he came over to the NBA?
4: Absolutely. I mean, the fact that he's gotten to the point that he has being in the rotation for an NBA Finals team, even if obviously the Suns didn't win, um, is impressive given where he came from. I mean, Torrey was 27 years old by the time he finally got his chance in the NBA with the Denver Nuggets. That right there, you mentioned uh, or I, I mentioned P.J. Tucker before. I think Tucker was exactly the same age when he first got his NBA shot. Obviously, P.J.'s pretty damn old now. Um, but Torrey feels like a player kind of in the same mold. You know, he's 30 years old. He, he's kind of a veteran, but it doesn't always feel like it because he hasn't been in the NBA that long. But he's hungry. He will embrace his role. He will embrace exactly uh, what you ask him to do. Um, and I think he's going to be a guy who sticks around in the NBA for, for a while. You know, I don't think this is Torrey Craig's last contract um, by any means. Now, I don't know exactly. I can't tell you how you guys are going to use him. But if he's your backup four, Uh, I would say this is kind of just the start of the new chapter in Torrey Craig's career. He could be a guy who sticks around deep into his 30s.
1: Yeah, I want to throw this at you just to kind of pick your brain and and see if you could kind of see this. But the Pacers, there's been some rumblings that they could bring Miles Turner off the bench. That was a report from Jay Michael from the Indy Star. Now, he came on our show and said that he doesn't really think that'll happen, but it was just suggested that that could happen. But Carlisle has mentioned several times that they could stagger him and Sabonis' minutes, and I could see where they would start and then really just stagger it for the majority of the game. If they do go 10 deep and they don't feel like Goga's ready or Goga's the right person to play at the backup center, I think there's a way they could stagger minutes and still do a kind of a small ball situation where you'd see maybe O'Shea set as the five, quote-unquote, on the depth chart, but really play most of his minutes at the four with a Sabonis or a turner. And same with Craig, like interchanging those players. That way it's not just like, you know, the standard big man with, with, you know, one through four. I'm just curious, do you think the Pacers could maybe do that where they don't play gogo Batadze, but start both Sabonis and Turner and then maybe use both Brissett and Craig in that rotation?
4: Well, I will say just having you right now like actually naming out the names for me, like I can see what you're talking about. That's it's a lot of talent. And right. not everyone is necessarily guaranteed a spot. And I can see also a situation where obviously you don't want this to happen, but um Tory Craig's the type of signing that you make if you're really going for it. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, obviously, the Pacers will say they have championship aspirations. Everyone always does. I don't know exactly where you peg this current team's ceiling for the next year, but really going for it as in being one of those top four type competitive teams in the Eastern Conference being the ultimate goal. And if you don't immediately hit that benchmark. I could see fans getting frustrated at the fact, why isn't why isn't Goga playing? Why are we playing Torrey Craig? He's a 30-year-old, you know, for 10 minutes per game. I could see that frustration starting to boil over. Um, from the get-go, just to create the most successful basketball team, just to give yourself the best chance to win a game, I think that what you said right there is the move. To answer your question, I, I mean, I think um, you go with not necessarily the traditional big man all the time, but you give Torrey in those staggered spots, those backup four minutes um, and I think that's, in just in my opinion, I think that's probably the most talented team uh, from the start, or talented rotation, not
3: mm-hmm. team. Yeah, Sam, I got a question here. and and I don't want to feel like we were robbed by any means, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are. When we heard the front office say they wanted to bring in a veteran, to perhaps serve as the Al Jefferson-like role for this team, and they present <laughs> us—they present us Tory Craig, which no offense, I'm sorry, but doesn't quite have the same resume as Al Jefferson. Should us Pacer fans be thinking, okay, is there someone else coming behind him, or are we just rolling with Tory Craig here? Because I'm happy for the finals experience, but similar to Justin Holiday in 2015 when he went with the Warriors, it's very minimal finals experience.
4: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, well, so to answer that, I need to know a little bit more about your guys' situation. What going in? Uh, how much cap space did you have? Like, who were it's your like twelve, on?
3: thirteen million dollars that the Patriots okay. had to spend? Resigned McConnell for yes. you know he got a, he got a solid raise, a little over eight million, and then signed Tory Craig. That was it.
1: Yeah, I think I think we, I think we used the MLE. I don't think we had any actual cap space. We just had the bird rights mm-hmm. of McConnell, yeah.
4: and then right.
1: And then the uh, ML leader signed Tory Craig.
4: I mean, uh, like we did a free agent preview, um, my co-host Mike and I, for instance, and and I assume maybe you guys did too. Like, did you have the the tough thing about this free agent class is in the 12 to 13 million range, like if that was your max, I don't know that there were a ton of good forwards. If if you were looking specifically for a forward, like a guy to come in and replace Doug, but give you the defense and, and the veteran leadership and everything, I can't single out uh an, an obvious name in my opinion did you have any ideas like is is there someone who would have been uh would have made for your dream acquisition just free agency not for a trade
3: we were kind of strapped for cash i, I just feel like i don't i don't know i mean some of the guys that signed elsewhere we just knew we weren't going to get on the bargain deals that they signed for obviously the lakers pretty much signed up every veteran you know that you could imagine for the minimum so i mean there there were there were some of those but I don't think I think coming into free agency we knew the Pacers were not going to be big players.
4: Yeah. We I mean, thought I'm they might make like, more trades. More than anything, yeah, we thought there trades. could be a
3: bigger trade. Trade was uh, the route. For
1: yeah, sure. because it's, there's still a possibility they could move Jeremy Lamb as an expiring. We don't know when when that's going to happen if that happens. Mm-hmm. Um but but that's something that we have to take into consideration. I think the McDermott, there was a possibility that we thought maybe a sign and trade, which did happen, but we didn't get any players back in return (laughs) from San Antonio. So it created that trade exception. There's still ways that can maneuver the roster, but yeah, I mean, there were some guys we looked at that we liked like Josh Hart, Reggie Bullock, but we just feel like they were maybe a little bit out of the price range of the full mid level. And that would put the Pacers in the luxury tax, which we knew they would not be willing to pay with a roster that they have considered a tough out and not a Mm -hmm. championship contender. So,
4: and look, those are good players. Josh Hart, Reggie Bullock, they're they're good players. They're closer to being like the twenty five, thirty minute per game starters, but um still not Al Jefferson. You know, <laughs> you yeah. Know, if you're talking about like, you know, prime Al Jefferson, big Al in the paint, putting up twenty five points per game or whatever. Love it. I'm trying so, to think of, like, an example of a guy who's a veteran but could still play. Like, you could have made a play maybe for, like, a Taj Gibson. And I the, think Taj
3: Gibson is the name that I've thrown out there. I feel like yeah. he's he's a veteran, but he can still play. And yeah. it's just, there's a lot that, that I mean, you could see that he was valued.
1: Yeah, that was a guy. J.J. Redick is another guy that I thought could be interesting, especially since he just played with Carlisle. He had a lot of nice things to say about Carlisle when playing with him. I know he probably wants to be on the East coast after hearing everything that went down with him in New Orleans, trying to get him traded out there. So I, I don't know where he's going to go. I think he did say that he was just going to sign with a team around training camp or maybe once the season starts, but that was a guy that I had my eye on just for someone that could play, but still be that better in presence.
4: Mm-hmm. And, and all good names. I, I mean, all good names, but again, I don't think they're better players. Uh, than Tori at this point right um, they may have more experience but that's a different thing
3: do you think that Tory Craig <laughs> can take a step forward because look let's be honest his stats the, the 31 games or so that he played with Phoenix definitely the best he's played in his career can yeah. he take even a little even half a step forward here
4: Half a step. Indian. So look, I think the defense is the defense and you've got a guy who's age 30. You have to watch out anytime they hit 30. It's, it's a bit cliche, but you know, I don't think the fall is coming for, for Tory Craig's athleticism this year, but defensively, I think he's going to continue to be the same guy on the boards. He's awesome. He's going to continue to be the same guy. So where he can take a half step forward can he get that three-point shot up to a consistent 37 38%, even if defenses are ignoring him, even if he's wide open. If you can hit that, you justify your spot on the floor. Um, I would also say Torrey's like a decently good decision-maker. He's not someone you want to get the ball and attack closeouts and like make a ton of decisions and be like a a secondary or tertiary playmaker. But if you look at his stats, you'll notice he basically never turns the ball over. He doesn't get a ton of assists, but the assist-to-turnover ratio is still really good. And so occasionally he will surprise you and he'll attack a closeout. He'll make the right read. Uh, if he can continue to build on all of that stuff, like he's just a smart player. And I think he can fit into basically any system, especially Carlisle's. So I would say, why not? There's definitely a chance that he takes another step.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think that he's actually going to be a player that does contribute. I think if you go back and look a couple of years ago, the Pacers brought in Justin Holiday and McConnell to kind of be, you know, third string players, really push some of the young guys and they ended up taking their minutes and look at them now they've had bigger spots in the rotation I don't know if he'll outdo Chris Duarte but I think there's a possibility he could make Carlisle feel more comfortable playing him over O'Shea Bursett because I think O'Shea Bursett offensively peaked but his defense was a little bit uh, of a weakness last year if you watch him of his game I think that could be where Tory Craig gets the edge on O'Shea in terms of those minutes at the back of four, which I know a lot of fans might not be happy with, but <laughs> I, I think Craig defensively could help this team be better overall. So that's all I have to say on that. Sam, I know it was an incredible run for your sons this year. Oh yeah. Unfortunately, no championship. I was rooting like crazy for Chris Paul, Monty Williams. I really, I didn't have, I didn't care that much who won. Cause I like both teams. As an you know, a, a guy that wasn't invested in either franchise that much, but I just gotta say your podcast did amazing during that time. I was really enjoying listening to you and Mike and awesome stuff, man. I uh I, I'm really hoping the Suns team bounces back and has another prove it year.
4: Appreciate that, Alex. I hope you're not lying about the uh rooting for Chris <laughs> Paul, Monty Williams. And even if you were, it, it honestly it wouldn't have been a big deal. I during that series never found myself at a point, even when we started going down, of like, ah God, I hate the city of Milwaukee so much. Like I just thought yeah. it was a pretty clean, pretty clean series. And um yeah, it's been fun to get a bit of a break from it though. Yeah, Not gonna I lie. Know. But new season starting up before we know it, huh guys? Boys. <laughs> NBA does a great ready. job
3: of keeping you keeping you involved.
4: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> All right, Samuel, where can the people find you at on social media and where can they find your podcast?
4: Yeah, uh, so our podcast is the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. It is also on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. We also have a YouTube channel by the same name. And I am on Twitter, at scooperhoops. If for any reason you're looking for a Suns voice out there, uh, come on over and give me a follow. Appreciate you guys again for having me on.
1: All right, everybody. Joining us now on Setting the Pace is the one and only Kiefer Sykes, who just had a really fun summer league with the Pacers. Kiefer, how you doing, man?
2: I'm doing well, man, back in Chicago. uh, Played in Australia this year. Obviously been on tour this summer with basketball, so just happy to be home with family, Uh, you know, finally after a long time. And uh, yeah, just being back in the city, man. I love being here. On tour is truly what it feels
3: like, Kiefer. I'm not sure if anyone has ever lived up to the term man of the hour quite like you, but you sank the game-winning three for Bayheim's Army to win the TBT and a million dollars. But Kiefer, I need to know. Did they leave us in the dark that whoever hit that shot was also playing for a contract with the Indiana Pacers? Because it felt like it came
2: instantaneously. Well, I mean, the only person that had that pressure was me <laughs> this whole time. But, uh, yeah, the TBT was fun. I mean, I, I thank uh, Syracuse and all those guys for the opportunity um, to get a, get a chance to play, you know, in, in my country. And, uh, yeah, for us to win six games and win, you know, people forget that uh, – you know, just because I hit the big shot that we had to win six basketball games, you know, NCAA tournament style. So um, that was really strong. And to get all of that, those games on ESPN and just to to get all of that um, a little bit of attention. Uh, you know, I, I didn't even expect it. Uh, you know, I didn't expect the, the, the shot to happen. So dramatic. And, uh, you know, I had previously signed with the Pacers, like I said, like a couple of days before. So, um you know, it was it was a little bit of pressure for me just to want to play well because I knew that I would be with them for summer league and that I was coming into mini camp late. But um, like I said, I mean, everything aligned really well and was, uh, you know, picture perfect. And it was just an unbelievable moment and just a miracle moment that me and my family was able to share. And then I'm going to remember forever. But uh, just amazing how it led into, you know, what was next for me with the exhibit 10 with the Pacers. And, um, you know, that momentum helped me play well in the summer. So... Uh, man, it's just been an unbelievable journey, man. It kind of just seems like you know all of my hard work is, you know, finally paying off. You know, it, it took a lot of reps to hit hit that shot. You know, I hit that shot a thousand times, a million times, but uh, this time it was worth a million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: hey, that's that's a million dollar shot right there. So yeah. it was a really cool story, and I think all the Pacer fans were excited to see you, especially the news breaking after you hit that shot too. So mm-hmm. you sign that Exhibit Ten, you you go into the mini camp, get ready for summer league. Tell me a little bit about that process and what that Summer League minicamp was like and playing under the coaching staff uh, led by Mike uh, Weiner. Uh, I mean, the Summer League, it was amazing. It's
2: always a, a blessing to get an opportunity to play in the NBA Summer League. And uh, like you said, man, um, that story was just cool, you know, for, you know, Indiana, how they how passionate they are about basketball and how they value genuineness and hard work. And, um, you know, that's 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 what I'm all about, obviously from my resume, from my journey. Uh, I just want to be respectful and just professional as possible. So um, to finally get on the NBA stage, like I said, with the Pacers, with them being close to home, uh, I just wanted to represent myself and represent the franchise as best as I could. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's an unbelievable franchise just made the playoffs a strong team, strong players. And, um, you know, new coach Rick Carlisle, you know, champion. Um, you know, play with some of the best players, uh, one of the best coaches. Uh, it's, it's just been just unbelievable for me. It's just a, a blessing for me just to even have that opportunity. Uh, I've played summer league uh, three times before, but just as a free agent. So for me to play this time, you know, with this uh, exhibit 10 contract and for me to look over to the side and, you know, see the coaches and see the GM, uh, it was just motiv- just motivation for me to uh, just play well and just put on good performances and, you know, lead, and I was kind of one of the older guys, just being a veteran presence for us. And, uh, you know, we were able to, you know, get rolling on on the back end. But um, it just felt so good to to be in that position, like I said, where before I was a free agent playing with um, so much pressure of all the 30 teams watching, uh, teams abroad, things like that. But, um, you know, it felt good to play for a team that's close to my home and just to be able to settle in with summer league um, I just looked at it as opportunity for them to see me, and that they'll be able to see me a bit more um, up in training camp.
3: You know, keeper, I very much admire I admire your grind. I mean, you like you mentioned, you were with the Cavaliers in the summer league before, the Spurs, the Golden State Warriors. Well, this time, I feel like you really put it all together and put together a real good summer league. I mean, on on the summer league season, while it was, you know a short season, fifty five percent shooting from the field, forty three percent from three. But what I really admired most is that in your starts, when you had a bigger role, you stepped it up and you produced even more, shooting 62% from the field in all three wins for the Pacers. Now, a recent article came out from Jay Michael, who was covering the Pacers up until just recently. He mentioned that keep your eyes on Kiefer Sykes as a possible dark horse for that third point guard role as he's, quote, a Carlisle guy.
2: What does that mean to you? Because I can tell you, it's a great thing. Um, like you said, uh, obviously, Rick Carlisle have had, have had uh, small guards and small guards have had success with him, um, you know, to be in a position where, yeah, this team needs a third point guard. Um, it's just a blessing. And then, yeah, man, the summer league, um, it, it, it was amazing for me. People don't understand how hard it is to play uh, summer league basketball, like you said, to try to, um, you know, show these teams everything you've got in just a, such a short time such a such a short stint, such a you know short season um it's very difficult you know all the guys have the same goals the same aspirations uh, you know it's a lot of selfish basketball like I said just being a veteran I just wanted to do all the little things just just show them my value show them my worth um you know just show them you know everything that I could do to help this team win basketball games and um You know, like I said, the shooting clips were just amazing because, you know, I can always shoot and score. But, uh, you know, in different environments, um, different offenses in such a short time with different guys, uh, you know, it's really hard to have a successful summer league. So uh, I was very excited to, you know, shoot the ball well and play well. And, you know, to just have luck on my side, you know, to to win those games uh, that I started, Um, you know, defensively, I feel like I play well. Um, and like I said, to be a, a, a veteran on this squad, to be a leader and just be able to, you know, to keep those guys calm, you know, to get guys like Dorte shots, to get Isaiah shots and, um, you know, exemplify what I do. Um, it, it was just fun for me and a, and, a, and a blessing for me to just, you know, put put my game on display because that that is what I do. Um, if you like you said, if you seen my journey of since I was a kid, man, I do whatever it takes to win. You know, I've won at the high school level. I went to a small school, wanted at the collegiate level, um, was, was uh, AP All-American, uh, things like that. You know, played Brogdon in uh, college, played T.J. McConnell in college, so they'll be very familiar with me. Um, you know, played, played abroad everywhere and have tested myself, you know, and wanted to go to these different leagues. Um, as I've done so far, I've played in about four or five different leagues to challenge myself. You know, I could have got comfortable and content um, after dominating the league or taking a team to the playoffs and... You know, wanted to stay there, but you know, I'm always chasing the challenge, and uh, obviously, the NBA is the biggest challenge. And you know, I wanted to continue to come back and come back, and like I said, um, to have a successful summer league after four chances. Um, man, it just it just meant a lot to me. Like I said, it just it was just good to see the hard work pay off and for everything to align because um, you know you can work hard and sometimes just things don't align. You know, last the last year I had played with Denver. You know, we had earthquake the first game, so. With us just having one less game, we wasn't able to make the playoffs, you know? But um, in this situation, um, I was able to, you know, be able to be in a position where um, I played my best basketball and our team played our best basketball and we were able to win basketball games. So um, that's just always my motto, just have the winning attitude, just the winning mindset. And, um, you know, I'm blessed with the talent to do a lot of different things. And, uh, yeah, I'm definitely excited to to help this team win and, um you know, play along with such a strong coach. Um, I, I love being an extension of a coach. Uh, being a point guard, I love being a leader. And, um, you know, like you said, uh, to, to show them that I could play, play well um, when it matters most is uh, kind of what I'm all about and uh, what I'm excited to, you know, exemplify at training camp.
1: Yeah, I always find myself rooting for guys that have a really, you know, cool story of how they got to the league. And I think looking at your resume, you've had to go through a lot of, you know, EuroLeague and, and summer leagues to finally get an opportunity now to make this roster for the Pacers. And I, I think that that's really cool. Can you talk a little bit about your journey and, and how it was playing overseas and why it would be such a dream come true to play in the NBA on an NBA roster?
2: Oh Yeah, I mean, it's a dream come true for me. Um, it'll be a dream come true because, I mean, I'm excited to, you know, tell these kids, you know, how hard it is. Uh, it's very hard. It's super hard. You know, a lot of people nowadays, once these kids get a mixtape, once they get in high school or even before that, and then even in college, they just telling these players how good they are and that they're professionals. But like you said, I had to climb up every rank. Uh, I had to continue to just build my game and mold my game to where um, it looks really polished, to where I had to study the film to get my game better, to get my shot better, to get my handles better, to get my vision better, to get my left hand better, to get my timing better, to get my defense better, to get my off-ball defense better, to get my leadership qualities better, to just everything that it takes to winning. And um, I feel like to get up to this point, um, everything has been a progression. Um, obviously, when I came out of, when I entered college, um, I wasn't ranked or anything like that. And um, I worked really hard to, to be one of the top players in the country and uh, worked my way to have 20 NBA workouts. and. Um, you know, go to the NBA combine and all of these things and still, you know, end up undrafted and uh, go to a team for Summer League and automatically go to a different team uh, for training camp in the Spurs in my rookie season. So um, for me, uh, you know, it's a grind. I, I like to tell them that it's hard, but I felt like at the moments it was just learning, you know, just, just, just learning stages and I was just building everything brick by brick. You know, like I said, the first, you know, my favorite player was LeBron James. So to go to get picked up by Cleveland and then to go to a, a great program like the Spurs and then I have kids. So to have to go overseas and then come home and just hold this dream close to my heart with people saying, you know, you're too small. You'll never make the NBA. You're already going overseas and, you know, have to continue to train with the mindset of going to the NBA and balance, taking care of my kids and then having to go back overseas to the second division. Because they said I have to prove myself in Europe, where I took uh, about 15K a month less, uh, you know, per month, per month um, on my team just in Korea, my first uh, year abroad where we won a championship. Um, things like that were hard. Um, then to go to the first level, uh, my team goes bankrupt. I play really well. And, um, you know, I, I feel like I was ready to go to the Euro League, but didn't get really get, didn't get any offers because guys that, you know, come from the NBA or you know have whatever on their resume gets the first nod rather than guys like me that's like work my butt off and have the talent. So then I ended up going to China, where it's super hard to survive over there. You're playing with high-level NBA players that year. It's Jeremy Land, Lance Stevenson, uh guys that play the high-level NBA champions, uh, you know, Sean, I mean Stefan Marbury. I mean, the list goes on, NBA names that play playing China, and I end up getting cut. Um, you know, being one of the leaders in, in scoring, I end up getting cut just because my team wasn't really good. We were losing. And then to finally get into the Euro League, and then, you know, get hit by COVID, you know, all of these things can be discouraging. Um, you know, spending all that time overseas, uh, three, four, five years without my family, uh, just this previous year in Australia, uh, just playing without my family uh, because they couldn't let anybody in due to COVID. Uh, All of those things mentally, uh, you have to be mentally conditioned. have to have that mental fortitude. And, um, you know, it's just just crazy, you know, to see that, you know, how many people fall off of of your bandwagon and uh, just how your self-esteem, you know, goes up and down and how a lot of people could get comfortable and content with, you know, making good money. Uh, You know, for me, that, that was hard for me, you know, seeing guys go to the NBA and just having to wait my turn. Um, I, I'm happy to be the testimony to tell a lot of these kids, uh, the youth in, in my city and just around the world that, uh, you know, it's very hard. know, uh, I'm excited to get this opportunity and to make this dream come true, to, to, to kind of be a testimony and to continue to work and continue to get better each and every day and continue to progress. Because as I said, uh, it's all about the mentality. So um, I looked at it as a, a learning stage to continue to get better and be the best that I can.
3: I mean, after describing your journey, I mean, it is impossible not to be rooting for you to lock down one of these last spots on the roster. I mean, but I also want to hear it from your perspective, because uh, us fans, you know, that that enjoy watching the team, covering the team, we're looking through the TV, and you know, we, we see certain things that we think we know, but when you're on the court and you're standing next to Chris Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, are you thinking, hmm, you know what, I can get used to this because... These guys uh I wouldn't mind playing with them. Can you tell us what their games were like on the court playing with them?
2: Yeah, I mean it is really exciting for me. Like I said, uh being a leader, being an extension of a coach and just how much I want to win and all of the experiences that I have it really seemed like those guys gravitated towards me just because of you know the mentality that I have and how serious I was about the game. You know, we had a lot of young players. So, you know, it was really different experience for them. Um you know, with all the scouts and you know all the highs and lows and just their confidence, how it wavers based on performance. Um, you know, they were able to see just how solid I was, just how, just how I come to work every day, just how I'm prepared. So um little things like uh from my the first time I started warming up, uh, Chris Dorte was warming up with me. Uh and then even the last game he didn't play, he just rebounded for me and passed the ball to me. Um Isaiah, um, it's crazy. Uh, before the game against Oklahoma City, um, you know, I'm telling him to roll to the basket. Uh, you know, obviously everyone loves to shoot threes, and you know we're playing with uh, different lineups, and you know, and, and everyone, on, everyone on the summer league, you know, level depth. We want to show these scouts they can shoot the threes so they could be in the NBA. But um, you know, for him, I was like, you know what, it's important for you to roll right now to open the floor up, and uh, you know, we went back and forth a little bit, and uh, that's why the play when I threw the live and he caught the left hand. It was so exciting to see uh, such a talented young player. You know, sit and you know, believe what I say and. For us to have, you know, converse and, you know, to figure things out in the game. Um, that was cool. And yeah, that, though, you know, playing with those two did made me feel like, okay, you know, obviously we both talented. All of us are talented. We can make shots and make plays, but, uh, you know, we could work together. I could help them and they could help me. And, uh, you know, I would say things like that, you know, made me feel more um, like I belong, you know, because I'm sure, I'm 100% that I could help Chris and help Isaiah. And, um, you know what I'm saying? We can, we can definitely help each other. And uh, that's what the game is about, you know, teamwork, chemistry, um, just just as, you know, going through the positive and the negatives and uh, having someone that could face that confrontation um, to do whatever to make them better and make the team better. And uh, that's what I'm all about, man. And uh, those type of things were were, were really excited for me. Like I said, with me being older and being 27, and, yeah, feeling like I'm ready to be on the NBA level, I mean, it was cool to just guide them and mold them just – you know, game by game or just the little time that we was able to spend and uh, definitely excited to be a part of this and continue to get to get, continue to get better.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I could I could tell just watching some of those games how you were being a leader out there on the court. And I'm hoping that translates as you get this opportunity. And maybe you can show that a little bit in training camp, running whatever unit you run. But I want to know a little bit more about Kiefer Sykes off the court. What are some things that you enjoy doing in terms of hobbies or interests or, or maybe, music that you like, favorite TV show, mm-hmm. favorite movie, any of that stuff. Just kind of get us a, a behind, the, behind the scenes look at who Kiefer Sykes really is. Right. Uh,
2: it's crazy. Uh, if you want a behind the scenes, scenes look, it, it, usually people know more about me than I know about them because I have a documentary on uh, Amazon Prime called Town. So it, uh, it pretty much documented my life from uh, the end of my junior year of high school to about um, after my senior year going into the draft. So, um, you know, people usually know more about me than I know about them when I meet them. But uh, just a huge family guy. Um, just just love my family. Um, just love community. Um, grew up in a big family. Um, and things I like to do is just uh, really just relax. I mean, I'm just so crazy about basketball. <laughs> I really use all my time to get better. Um, you know, if I'm not training, I'm trying to do some physical therapy or I'm lifting weights or um, I like to read a lot of books. Um, That helped me a lot being abroad and, you know, being on different time zones where, you know, sometimes I can't speak to family. I would just, you know, uh, like to read books. I like to do yoga pretty much every other day. Um, I'm a big yogi to keep my mind right, uh, to keep the breath right. You know, the breath is the intelligence whenever you want to become present, just, you know, take an inhale, exhale. And, uh, you know, if you meditate, you know, it kind of clears your mind. So, um, for me, man, I just try to, in this world where it's 2021, where everyone's on this technology, I just try to just stay as pure as possible and as simple as possible and um, just dedicate all my time into my family and in my kids and in my community to just leave a legacy. Uh, You know, I lost my father, as you would probably see in the film. So um, for me, it's just every, every, every second, every minute, you know, kind of matters. So I'm more focused than, you know, most, but a uh, little bit more serious than most. But it's just due to the circumstances of um, just how my life uh, unfolded.
3: You know, keeper. I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that. I did read that you were, you know, one of seven, I believe, the second oldest. So that is, you know, quite the large family. And it sounds like, you know, you're, you're being a great family man yourself. So I could definitely mm-hmm. respect that. Uh, from my last question, I would say a little bit of a two-part question. One, who did you model your game after growing up? And two, we have Dwayne Washington Jr. coming on the show tomorrow. Any uh, any insight on what Dwayne's like?
2: <laughs> Dwayne, first of all, Dwayne, shooter, man. I, I, I would just call him a sniper. Uh, you know, play played very well. Uh, a lot of energy, fun guy. You're going to just hear him when he first comes in. Uh, and then you're going to hear him when he's leaving out. But um, just a really good kid, man. Fun kid, very, very, very talented, and um, just joyful, man. Uh, really cool. Uh, he, I, I knew of him even before I came into camp. You know, he worked out with one of my good friends, Alfonso McKinney. So, you know, he told me about him, and uh, we kind of just, you know, just clicked as soon as we, uh, as soon as we met. But um, uh, it's crazy who did I model my game after. Um, We played them first game in the preseason. So it was like, welcome to the NBA. But uh, Derrick Rose, man, Derrick Rose was like everyone's idol growing up uh, from Chicago. uh, To be number one uh, in grade school, be number one in high school, to get be number one um, in college, you know, get picked number one to the Bulls, it just seemed like a dream come true. Uh, Someone where... um, you know, dreams don't really come true here. A lot of tragedy, but to see him actually make it and to be number one all the way through and to come to the Bulls and to be the youngest MVP, um, just more than even out on my game, he was just inspiration as a person. Uh, always wondering about his success. How did he deal with that? Obviously, he has some ups and downs, but for him to finally, you know, secure a three year deal and, um, you know, continue to reinvent his game and be one of the better point guards and guards uh, even playing still today. Um, that's something that's, that's unheard of and that type of longevity is what I was drawn to uh, just more than my game. But, um, you know, he's very explosive, get in the paint, shoot shoot floaters. Um, obviously, he's one of the best players in the NBA. So um, his ceiling was really high, but definitely uh, just modeled my game, just my talent on and off the court after him. But, um, you know, now... Um it's no more idols, you know, everyone becomes rivals. So just excited to compete um, this upcoming season. Absolutely.
1: So as we wrap things up here, first of all, I want to say thank you once again for giving us so much of your time and doing this interview with us. And then secondly, you know, there there are people who might not be as familiar with you because your name hasn't, you know, isn't as popular, maybe as some other names in the NBA. But for Pacer fans that are gonna hear this interview and that are gonna get to know you what would be the one thing you would say for them to look forward to looking at your game? Like, what is, like, the highlights of your game that you really think describes who for sex is? Well,
2: um, the highlight of my game is um, just the passion I play with. Like you said, you're going to hear it. You're going to hear me on the side. You're going to hear me down. And you're going to see me locked in um, all the time. Um, and, um. Like I said, I just like being a leader. i um, just like winning. I mean, it sounds cliche, and you know everybody likes to win. I haven't won at that level. Haven't been at this level. But um, like I said, I just have the winning attitude, the winning mindset. Uh, do whatever it takes to win. So defensively, I'm gonna make it a 94 foot game. Uh, make open shots. I'm gonna find. I'm gonna find guys. I'm gonna create for guys. And uh, like I said, I'm gonna be an extension of the coach on the floor. So uh, if you haven't gotten to know me. Um, you can just, un- just know that, you know, I work hard and um, this is not, you know, this is just the beginning for me. Uh, so I'm just excited to, you know, start here and, like you said, let let people get to know me and let, let them know what I'm about and uh, just work hard and just measure myself up and just, you know, just make the team better. That's all I want to do. I can promise
3: you that the hours, the countless hours that you're putting in, it's showing. So – I'm rooting for you. I know Alex is, and the yeah. rest of the fan base is behind you, uh, Keeper. As we wrap up, tell everybody where they could find you on social media, and I know you have an awesome non for profit going on that I'd love to
2: hear more about. For sure, uh, you can find me on social media at K twenty eight, and um, yeah, my non for profit Free Ten Foundation. Um, you can find that at on Instagram, but um, yeah, you can find my. Uh, foundation page at keefer free 10 foundation.org uh, i would love for you all to check that out uh be able to help my city um, the initiative is to help uh, these kids that lost their parents to gun violence and these kids that lost their parents to uh, mass incarceration uh, their parents being incarcerated for whatever reason um you know these kids are left behind without a parent and without those uh resources and just that, that nourishment and just that nurture that they need to become successful. And that's what that's what created a negative cycle, you know, in our inner cities. Um especially with poverty, with COVID, uh, these kids need a lot more than ever. And uh, you know, I have my summer camp all of this week. Um like I say, you know, I won the TBT and uh instantly started executing and just giving back to my community. So I, mean, I would love for you all to just help Chicago, help the city and just check out the website and um just check out the film. Um, you know, I just have a lot of things going and I just want to be the best that I can, and uh, we'll love to have help. So I appreciate you.
3: Awesome, thanks a lot, Kiefer. We appreciate it, and we'll be behind you every step of the way.
1: All right, Fachi. Long-winded episode today. We had Kiefer Sykes on and Sam Cooper, but I thought it was a really good episode with some good content. Always good to hear from the players themselves, and then of course our guy Sam Cooper over at the Timeline Pod. Really enjoyed his insight on Tory Creek
3: Yeah, no, definitely. I think for Kiefer, I mean, it really takes you into the true journey of just how hard it is to get to the NBA. I mean, we we look at it, we just think that everyone on that floor, like, oh yeah, you know, they're all good. There's so there's such little spots available that I mean, Kiefer, someone for the last few years has been trying to get back to this opportunity. I think that it really shows that. He's worked on his game a lot because he had opportunities in, I believe it was 2015, 2016, 2017, and here he is in 2021 knocking on the door for a roster spot with the Pacers.
1: Yeah, you can definitely tell he's motivated by how he responded to a lot of our questions. I thought the most telling thing was whenever I asked him what he likes to do for fun, he really didn't have too much to say. It was more so basketball is my life, and this is what I'm dedicated to right now. So I think you can tell by just that comment alone, how serious he's taking this opportunity. So I wish him nothing but the best. It's going to be a fun and an exciting training camp. I think there's a lot of good, talented players on this roster. Not sure how they're going to be, you know, in terms of where they fall out in the Eastern Conference because I think there's a lot of talented teams out here. But I think with Rick Carlisle back, with everything going the way it's going, I'm excited to see where this team ends up, Fachi, at the end of the season.
3: I really am, because I just feel like they put an emphasis on defense, and it shows. I mean, you can tell every player the Pacers have brought in has what feels like, for the most part, a defensive identity. Um, and I just feel like that's what the team needed. You know, they, they really do. I think that they're, you know, while they haven't been able to stay healthy, uh, I think that it's a new season. It's a new yeah. season. So I think that there's been enough change that I think it's going to reflect in the wind column. I really do.
1: I, I agree, Fauci. So – now that we're wrapping up the show, where can the people find us at on social media?
3: So you could find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. You could find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I could be found on Twitter at underscore FACCI. And you could find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. And if you think Keeper
1: Sykes is worthy of the keys to the third string point guard position, say these three words
2: Let's go, Pacers! This is Keeper Sykes, and you're listening to Setting the Pace.